This is the Tribune Audio Network. This is Sip. Survive. And repeat. I'm Jenny. I'm Danelle. And I'm Kenny. Danelle, this wh- is, what do we do? Uh, oh, skippity bop. This is a podcast about survival stories and drinking wine and repeating it every week. So here we are. Here we are doing it Get again. to it. And if anyone is concerned, we're all doing this remotely via Skype. So we are not in the same room. We are very socially distant. But I miss you guys. I miss seeing I do like, too. faces. I know. I mean, we could turn on our cameras, but you guys don't want to see what's going on here. <laughs> you don't want to see this. is not pretty. Yeah. This is not I, cute. I have a tendency to take showers at night, which is like not my thing. Um, because my hair being so short, like turns into a weird... I don't know. I just look ridiculous. So, um, I just look ugly. I mean, I every mean, day I get a little more gross. I have to say though, I feel like my skin is really happy. I haven't worn makeup in like uh 2 weeks. Like 2 weeks yeah. since this all started. So, my skin is like, thank you for not Mine putting shit on me. I went through a couple rough patches like when it first happened, mm-hmm. I think due to stress from work. I was breaking out and now my skin's like, okay, we got this. No makeup. You're not, you know, it's, it, it's going to be okay. Like it's calming down. Yes. So things are looking up. Kenny, how's it going with your makeup routine? Oh, you know, I'm kind of staying consistent with it. Don't want to, don't want to stop doing it. <laughs> You're like trying to think of something like a bronzer. Are you still doing some bronzer? Yeah. You know, I want to start my day right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I course. tell you? I had a conference call with a client this morning, well, a potential client, um, and I, like, my hair looked so ridiculous that before I could get on the call, I, like, ran to the bathroom and fixed it, like, wetted my hair down and then re-blow dried it, and also had to put a bra on, because I was like, I can't confidently talk yes. to someone about their business if I'm not at least partially presentable. Like, I, I get that they can't see me, but I just feel ridiculous if, you know? I agree. I had to. (laughs) I I will say I wake up every morning and Mm -hmm. I shower and I put on normal clothes. Good for you. And by normal clothes, I mean jeans and a t-shirt, but they're still jeans. I mean. Like I'm really trying. I do not wear jeans. Like, let's be honest. I don't wear jeans though that often anyway. So I put on my leggings. At least they're not sweatpants. I do put on leggings and then um, like a sweatshirt or a t-shirt depending on the temperature. So. I think we're all doing well. Things are I think okay. We're good. Yeah, yeah, we're all making it through. Um, I will reiterate that working from home, when you have two people working from home and then a four-year-old who doesn't have any work to do, it causes hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you there. <laughs> I bet I bet it does. <laughs> I... Yeah. It's, it's insane, but we're all going to make it through. I've seen yeah. some really good memes. I mean, if nothing else, yes. this, this has given us a lot of good memes. Exactly. And a lot um, of time to catch up on our TV watching. Yes, which I don't want to... This will come out probably after the fact. No? No, this will come out t- like a week and a half ahead of time, probably. Okay. I think we're going to talk about uh, Tiger King in an upcoming bonus episode. So if you haven't watched it yet, get it together. It's get hilarious. I and awful. So I it's need hilarious it. and awful. It's a little bit of everything. The emotions are running. Just crazy. <laughs> Best Insanity. Way to it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what we're drinking, shall we? 
Well, I'm drinking a glass of only the finest boxed wine from the finest vineyards of Costco, Mm. a Cabernet, a Costco Cabernet. Did you have this delivered? I did. Nice work. I figured if we're going to be going through this, I need to make sure I have a good stockpile. Good. Yes. Um, I went to pick up food from a local place. I want to give a shout out to them um, in case any of you guys are in Northeast Ohio and you're looking for a place that has good takeout. Uh, Gibbs uh, Butcher and Brews, I believe it's called. Oh, it's so good. It's, um, have, you, have you had this though? It's a restaurant. They opened a restaurant. We order from the Butcher, but yes. it's, a sim- it's similar food. But I've not no. been to the restaurant portion. Yet. Oh my god! Oh my god! The restaurant is amazing. I got a burger. It was heaven. Really? So they have okay, like, we're gonna they have to like go. burgers, steak sandwiches. They have like entrees. Donald got some sort of like barbecue chicken thing. Um, I think it's called Butcher and Brew. Pretty sure. Anyway, it's in uh, Olmstead Falls. And so, if any of you are listening from Northeast Ohio, support local business. Get out there, check it out. Um, but while I was there, they had wine uh, to go wine. Like, you could buy a bottle. So I was yes, like, "Yes, I will do that. So they had a bunch of the 19 uh, Crimes bottles. So I just got the red blend. I've been off the red wine for, God, a couple of months now. And the only time I was drinking it was when I was drinking those um, uh, New York Sours, which is has the wine topper. So uh, last night was the first night I had it, and everything went I did not get nauseous or have an upset stomach. So I figured, okay, maybe we can ease back into a little red wine because that's my favorite. So anyway, that's what I'm drinking is the red blend uh, from 19 Crimes. And it's pretty good. Pretty good re-entry back into the red wine field. Canny? Oh, I'm drinking IPA by Collective Arts. Really just got it because the can looked cool. It's like yellow with these balloons on it. I don't know, but it's uh, it's a good IPA, nice six point eight percent, nice and hoppy, mm. little easy. Mm. That's oh, my favorite kind. IPA. Oh yeah, Mm-mm-mm. love it. All right, so do we have anything else to cover before we jump into survival stories? Uh, if you guys have any suggestions for short episodes, we'll take them because we're going to keep trying to do Thursday ones. Yes. Uh, right now we're sticking with like weird news shorts. Uh, so uh, if you find weird news headlines, let us know. But also if you have other ideas for us to do on Thursdays, um, we're just trying to spice things up, especially while everyone is kind of quarantined away from each other. Um, and you can send that to sip, survive, repeat at gmail.com or on any of the social medias. Slide into our DMs. Slide in there. Say. Sorry, my phone was just ringing. I didn't mean to be quiet the whole time. My friend's here. Um, dropping off a gift for me on my front porch. Oh my god! He Do you think kept it's wine. It's uh, hopefully. Hold on, <laughs> Kenny. You can edit this out or not. I'm just gonna. I'm very say curious. Hi really quick. Oh, here he left, little hooker. <laughs> Please don't edit that out. <laughs> okay, sorry guys. You're good. I don't know what, what is it. Is. Okay. I don't know. Open it. We want to know. I can't believe I kept the, the door shut like a loser. Aww. You have to. Callie, watch out. It is 
They're cookies. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Sorry. We can resume. Okay. I'm going to eat one though. Do it. Yeah. That was so nice. They're called quarantine cookies. Oh my God. Cute. Okay. Sorry, Kenny. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Mm, so good. we've discussed both of our stories are not that gruesome. Uh, they're not great though. I mean, they're not happy, except for there is survival, so that's good. Um, Mine, I think, is fairly short, but every time I think that, they end up being long because I just, like, talk a lot. So, who do we think should go first? Can I go first? Or Danelle. Danelle wants to go first. No, Danelle, you go first. I like to go first. Okay, you okay. go first because then I can drink my wine and, and loosen up, limber up. Got it. Yes. Okay, so mine is their survival story of the Collingswood Boys. Have you ever heard okay. of this? I have not. Um, and this is the story of Bruce, uh, Treshawn, Terrell, and Michael. Mm-mm. So this is their story. So at a young age, the four boys were adopted by a couple, Vanessa and Ray Jackson. Um, I think the ages that they were adopted were like, the one, the oldest boy was like 10, five, four, and one. And after about living with uh, Vanessa and Ray for a few years, they were officially adopted through the system and all, and they got out of the foster system is cool. what I'm trying to say. So, yes. um, so fast forward to an October night in 2003. So this is, you know, eight years later and a neighbor found uh, Bruce Jackson, the oldest adopted son rummaging through their garbage for food at three o'clock in the morning. Mm. So um, the neighbor was like, what are you doing outside of my house rummaging through my, my garbage? And he didn't know that the boy lived next door um, or in the condo or the apartments next door. And so he called 911 and on the 911 call, I listened to it. You can hear, it's so sad. You can hear the dispatcher ask the neighbor who called how old he thought the boy was. And he said, he has to be under 10. He's <gasps> very little He's very, he's a very young kid. Okay, but this well, is eight years after he was adopted, so wasn't he like 18? Oh my God, Jenny, you're so good at math. Math, math. He Thank was you. 19 Thank years you. old. Jesus. So, yeah, but he looked 10. Uh, when the police responded to find Bruce or to go, you know, question Bruce, they thought he was seven. So the police thought he was even younger oh, than Jesus the neighbors thought he was. Christ. Yeah. So, Bruce weighed approximately 45 pounds, um, and he stood four feet tall. Four he was feet? Dis- yes. He was disoriented, shoeless, cold, and extremely malnourished, and the police believed him to be, again, seven years old. Clearly, I'm wow. this. Okay. Did, so, did he tell them, I'm not seven? Yeah. Well, so when the neighbor called the cops... He or when the neighbor first asked Bruce, like, what are you doing? Why are you digging through my garbage? Um, and asked him how old he was. He Bruce said he was 19. But the neighbor was like, no, you're not. You're too, like, he didn't believe him. Right. So well, if you're like four feet tall and weigh 45 pounds, you probably don't look 19. Exactly. So um, so then police further investigated and went to the Jackson home. And that's where they found his three adopted brothers who also appeared malnourished. And there was Treshawn, who was um, 14 and weighed 40 pounds. And a typical 14-year-old weighs 115 pounds, according to Oprah. 
Um, oh. Is that Oprah.com or just like, op- like you had a conversation with Oprah? I talked to Oprah. We FaceTime. No, it was Oprah.com. I watched this little, <laughs> she had like a little mini documentary on this as well. So got it. Um, Terrell was the other brother. He was 10. He weighed 28 pounds. No, uh-huh. that is less than my four year old. Awful. It's awful. It's an awful story. Um, the average 10 year old should weigh about 70 pounds to mm-hmm. give you some perspective. And then there was Michael who was nine and he weighed 23 pounds Mm-mm. and the average weight of a nine-year-old is 60 pounds. Um, so they, they made this comment in the documentary, which I thought it was just to put in perspective, uh, the combined weight of all four boys was around 136 pounds. And that's as much as a full grown like Rottweiler or a large dog weighs. So right. I mean, oh. for all four boys together, it's sick. So the boys had head lice, they had rotted teeth. I mean, there mm. were clearly some home issues going on here. So as investigators look more deeply into the Jackson home, the pattern of maltreatment was apparent. Everybody else um, that lived in the home, though, seemed to be very well fed and in some mm. cases overweight. Mm. Um, it was this was a very religious household, overcrowded, small, and um, the Jacksons had a total of six adopted children, the four boys, which the story is about, and then two other kids. And they had also been planning to adopt a 10 year old uh, girl named Brianna Mm-mm. as well. Nope. Yeah. So state officials shut that shit down. And of course they said, <laughs> yeah, they said that this was very similar to a Cinderella like story where it seemed like the other kids were taken very well care of, but yet the four boys were just, Wait, were so the other kids poor. were the other kids biological of the couple? No, no, they were adopted too. But they were adopted too. Now, I so I heard I read two different stories. One story said that the the one girl was biological, and then the other one said that they were all adopted. Hmm. So I'm just okay. going to go with that they're all adopted. Okay. Um, the state was convinced that this was you know the Jacksons' motive was to milk the system and and receive money for the adoptions and the foster kids. Um, they also said that is the most horrible and most significant child abuse case the state of New Jersey has ever seen. So um, let's see here. So the Jacksons, the um, Vanessa and Ray told officials that the boys suffered from eating disorders uh-huh. And that's what kept them from developing properly. And they did whatever they could to try to stop the eating disorders, but they just wouldn't stop. You know, the eating, eating disorder, disorder. <laughs> where at three in the morning you wake up and you go to your neighbor's garbage. Right. And, and you binge food. their garbage can. Yeah, that right. one. That's the one. Sick. So this went on for nearly eight years. They were kept home from school. They were locked out of the kitchen with literal locks on the refrigerator door and an alarm system in the kitchen door. Can I be honest with you, though? You want one of those? Well, in quarantine, it's like, it's almost like these kids don't understand that they don't have to eat all day. And I'm saying this because I have healthy, normal-sized children. Uh, But, dear God, like, every 10 minutes, Mom, I need a snack. I need a snack. I need a snack. I'm like, you don't need a snack. You just (laughs) ate a snack. You just had lunch. What are we talking about? But, okay. Different story. Different story. I'm sure parents can commiserate with me during quarantine. Kids are just like nonstop food machines. I mean, I I am. I'm such a snacker during this time. Ugh. Like I can't stop snacking on things. Right. I know. But mm. so they were also denied food for long periods of time, and they were fed a lot of raw food, like raw oatmeal. 
pancake Ugh. batter, um, what the fuck are you grits, raw oatmeal or pancake batter. And you know, it wasn't the good pancake kind with the eggs. You gotta, you know, it was just like the water and pancake mix. I'm sure. Like just the Ew. raw. Yeah. So well, during the, interview, the mix though. Or yeah. They- well, that's how I envisioned my mind. I don't know if it was the powder or I, I pictured them like actually mixing it up. When you think okay. or no, I don't know. I, I don't know. It depends on if they have ac- they had access to water or milk to mix it with. Well, the one boy said that sometimes um, Vanessa, the mom, would say, "Oh, food's ready," and she would have a glass of water sitting out, like to trick them. So they would get oh, excited, God. thinking they're going to eat, and she would have it. Yeah, it's disgusting. So on Oprah, the boys stated that they were. Um, they would get to eat depending on Vanessa's mood and she would just snap. So one minute she would be in a good mood and would feed them. And then they would go for days without food where she was just in a bad mood. She would also play games with them and set ridiculous time limits for a plate of food. She would lay food out and say, okay, you have one minute to eat all of this. And if you don't eat it all in one minute, you're, you're not going to eat for the next X amount of days. Oh my God. No. Yeah. Although I would like to say I'm, I'm like the fastest eater in the, in the I am too. Midwest. So I feel like I could do good <laughs> in at the that. Midwest. Um, I am also, I've noticed <laughs> since Todd and I. Hold, hold on one sec. There's a four-year-old in here. I love you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, he's very mad at me. Very he's mad like, no. Um, let's see. What was I going to say? Oh, I've noticed that. Obviously, Todd and I are making more dinner at home and um, eating here, like, at the house. I'm such a much faster eater than he is. Like, I'm mm. done with my food, and he's, like, halfway through his. I'm, a, mm-hmm. you know, just, like, to scarf it down. So, um, it, again, if they didn't finish their plate, they didn't know when they would receive their, receive their next meal. They also found, authorities found bite marks around the house, which supported one of the boys' claims that he would get so hungry that he would chew out the windowsills and the wall plaster throughout the house. So he would eat <gasps> that. So sad. Oh, no. The family was really active in their church. And when they did go to church, Vanessa and Ray would make them put on multiple sweat- like sweaters, like four or five of them in like layers to help make it look like they were heavier than they were. And she would also stuff like T-shirts and sweatshirts under their sweaters. But their so, faces had to look so I know. awful. I, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add mm. up and it doesn't make sense. Um, so the Jacksons were arrested in October of 2003. And they were indicted by a grand jury for a total of 28 counts of aggravated assault and endangerment for uh, failing to provide adequate nutrition, medical and dental care, and a clean environment for the four boys. The adoptive father, uh, Ray, died during uh, complications from a stroke right as the case went to trial. So it was really only Vanessa, the mom, that ended up going to trial because the husband had passed away from a stroke. So this went on for two years. And after... um, so two years from the point when he, uh, he, he was found digging and scraps through the neighbor's trash, uh, Bruce finally got to face Vanessa in court. And at this point, Bruce had grown over a foot tall and gained nearly 100 pounds Whoa. over these two years. Yeah. Get it. So he got his day in court. And when he walked up to the stand, he looked Vanessa directly in the eyes. Um, he also said that she sat impassively in her chair and stared straight ahead. 
Like she didn't really look at him. She didn't really have a lot of emotion on her face. And he said to her, here's the statement that he wrote and, and spoke to her in court. He said, you would make us eat pancake batter, dried up grits and oatmeal, uncooked cream of wheat and raw potatoes instead of cooked food. You didn't take us to any doctor's appointments. You wouldn't let us watch TV or play with our toys. You wouldn't let us take a shower when, when we were dirty. You yelled at us, cursed at us, hit us with brooms, roller sticks, shoes, and belt buckles. I still have the marks to prove it. I want to see Miss Jackson go to jail for life. You were mean to me my whole life, so you deserve the same thing you did to me for the rest of your life. You took my childhood. Um, Vanessa ended up pleading guilty to only one charge of child endangerment in exchange for a reduced prison sentence. She received a seven-year prison term. That's it. Seven mm -mm. years. Mm -mm. And, and only served four years. Oh, my God. No. She continues to this day to deny that she's ever starved her children. And, in fact, I read an article from, let's see, it was the New Yorker, I think, just the New York Magazine and it was really interesting because they took her side and kind of told the story from her point of view, which I found a little disgusting. But I know as a mm -hmm. journalist, you're supposed to look at both sides. And she's just full of excuses. I mean, bottom line is she never took these kids to the doctor. If they did have some type of eating disorder, which is ridiculous, you take them to see a, a specialist or a therapist. Right. Um, you don't just keep them locked up in your house. Okay, so da, 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 da. so she continues to deny that she ever starved her kids to this day. Uh, the trial, the biggest thing that came out of this trial was the failure of the states and how the child welfare, welfare system worked in New Jersey. Um, it was a huge shakeup because of this case. It gained so much national attention. And the state ended up coming up, coming out and admitting that it made mistakes and it agreed to pay the children um, $12.5 million in a settlement. Yes. So but are they I actually going to get great. that money? Are they going to get it? I, I don't know. Um, it doesn't really say. I'm sure after, you know, lawyers fees and all a bunch of other stuff, they'll, they'll see some of it, but you know, I, I'd highly doubt that they'd see all of it. Um, the other three brothers were taken in by James and Amber Parrish, and they were able to end up living a, um, a, a great life in a loving home, and James and Amber ended up adopting all three boys, and I also mm -hmm. watched a cool video where they went to court on the day of adoption, and um, they all had their last names changed to Parrish. Uh, the, middle, the middle brother... Um, did an interview and said that he loves his new dad and he takes him to the barber shop and they do, they go do, you know, manly things together. And he teaches them, you know, how to, what kind of women to date and how to treat a woman. And he's teaching them all these life skills. They're doing really well in school and um, are even off to college at this point. Aww. So um, the uh, Amber Parish, the mom said that they are overcomers instead of being overcome she said they are victorious not victims so that is the story of the collingswood boys um bruce treshawn terrell and michael bruce to this day he's in a home just because he needs some special assistance and, and care but um he wasn't included in the oprah interview just because he's kind of doing his own thing and living his own life, but it sounds like the brothers still stay in contact with him and stuff, but he just needs a little extra support and care. So, 
but all the other three brothers are doing really well as well too. Hmm. Good. So there you go. There you go. Mm-mm. I don't know and what's I, wrong with people. That's what I would like to say. I just can't believe you blame it on an eating disorder. Well, and we all know that that's not true, especially if the cops went in your house and saw that you had like padlocks on the fridge and the pantry and the like, no, what? No. It's ridiculous. It's a very ah. sad. It's a very, very, and that's only, I only touched the surface of some of the details. I, I didn't want to get in too deep into it, but um, it's yeah. pretty gruesome. Very Ugh. gross. I don't like them. I mean, I like uh-uh. the boys. I don't like that. The adoptive parents. That's terrible. But they survived and they're all doing well. <sighs> Love it. Love it. Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. So I dove back into my $14.99 investment in Surviving Evil with Charisma Carpenter from YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So this is season one, episode four, and it's called Money, Madness, Murder. Oh, boy. Amazing. I'm into it already. (laughs) So this episode actually contained two stories. So I'm just going to I think I'm just going to cover one. Because um, I feel like it gets confusing if I do, because they're two totally separate stories. They both kind of have to do with money, but not really. So, whatever. We're going to do one. So, this is the story of Sheila Dates and her daughter, Regina. So, uh, Sheila is the main person who is talking to the camera, and she it's she's telling it from her point of view. Uh, this goes back to 1999, which is, of course, when I was a senior in high school. Doing cool stuff, you know, listening to sweet music. What the else? best music. Uh, Kenny, you were five, four? Five. Five. Living his best five-year-old life. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Getting ready for kindergarten, probably. What else? All right. So, uh, <laughs> Sheila, it didn't say how old she was in 99, but her daughter, Regina, is 21. So, I gotta guess she's at least in her... 40s late 30s 40s something like that um so she uh sheila managed a check cashing store and um the story kind of starts out that the store the check cashing store in 1999 got robbed um which isn't totally surprising um i think similar to banks check cashing places since they have cash on hand uh right. are kind of an easy target like go where the money is um so I think, you know, the protocol is there to, like, it happens, you do what you're supposed to do, there's training. So it wasn't totally, like, shocking to Sheila. Like, she didn't seem, she didn't like being robbed, obviously, but, um, again, she had been trained for it, she was in the store, it was, it was what it, it was. So uh, one morning, um, when she's not at work, she's at home with her daughter, Regina, who still lives with her. The doorbell rings and Regina goes downstairs to see who it is. Uh, and she looks through um, the window on the door and the person outside, it's a well-dressed man and a well-dressed woman who uh, holds up um, an FBI like badge or whatever. Okay. So Regina is like, oh, oh, okay. So she goes and gets her mom and is like, hey, mom, the FBI is here. Um, I don't know what they want. So uh, Sheila, the mom, goes down and opens the door and she assumes this all has to do with the mo- the recent robbery at the check cashing store. So she lets them in, they all sit down and uh, suddenly the guy, what are you doing? 
We What's can hear happening? all that. I can hear all You the- can? Yes! Yeah, it I'm is very loud. <laughs> oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, what is that? I don't know how loud things are because I'm not used to recording like this. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Would you like to continue and get your cookie? No, I was actually putting it away. Oh. <laughs> I was like just putting it away and not eating. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, so uh, these FBI agents come in. They all sit down. Um, and then the well-dressed man jumps up and pulls a gun out of his waistband mm-hmm. and basically says, uh, we're here to rob you. Like, you better listen. You can either walk oh, out of shit. here as survivors or you, can, or you can be rolled out of here in body bags. Mm-mm. So guess what? They were not FBI agents. No. As, no, it, turns not. Out, as it turns out. So... Um, so the guy takes, uh, well, both of them, the guy, and it's a guy and a woman, which I thought was very interesting. Um, cause not a lot of times you see women involved in these no. kind of crazy crimes, but. Or if okay. they are, they're like in the car or they're the getaway or. Nah, you know, she was in the like action. That. She was in the action. Uh, so, um, the guy's name is Keith Henry and the other person with him is Belinda Henry, his wife. They take, um, Sheila and Regina upstairs to a bedroom, they proceed to lay them down on the bed and then zip tie their, uh, their ankles and their hands behind their back. And then at that point, um, they start, uh, Keith and Belinda start asking, where's the money? And Sheila is like, we don't have any money here. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you're the manager of the check cashing store. What does he so think? That- she brings it home with her? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. So they're like, well, give us the code to the check cashing store so that we can go and rob the vault. And she says, she starts explaining it, which of course, like a bank, the check cashing store has, you know, fail safes and things like that um, to make sure that robberies are difficult and are hard to happen. So it's kind of a complicated, like you have to put in this code and then you can't enter this door without putting in this key and this. And um, Belinda, the female robber, gets really frustrated and like she says you're just gonna take me to the check cashing place and we're gonna do this right now so they take off um sheila's ties but her daughter regina again who's 21 is still zip tied and laying on the bed um keith the male robber says if you do anything wrong or you try anything funny i will kill your daughter so sheila is terrified because her and regina have had a very close relationship their entire life um, it's basically been the two of them since day one. Um, a lot of people said they were more like sisters than they were like mother and daughter. They just did a lot of things together. So, um, the reason for the robbery is because, um, Keith's wife, Belinda was very ill with manic depression. And so he loved her so much that he wanted to make sure she had a great life. Um, and even if that meant like breaking the law to provide a great life. Wow. Okay. Like, damn, son. That's like that's, that's love. That's deep love there. <laughs> it's also a little insane. It's also a little insane. <laughs> yeah, <good> thing. <laughs> I'm like, maybe she was manic depressive and you were a little just manic. I don't know. But whatever. Right. I think there's maybe a, a dual thing going on there. Mm-hmm. So uh, Belinda gets in the car with Sheila, the mother, and they start driving to the check cashing place. Uh, the check cashing place, uh, she's not Belinda, or I'm sorry. Sheila is not allowed to open the doors until 9.30. So that's one of the fail-safes on the, the store. 
uh, because the check cashing place opens at 10 o'clock. So they don't want anyone in there for longer than half an hour before the store actually opens. So um, they get to the check cashing place and they have to kind of wait uh, before they can enter the store. Um, and just so you guys know, in case you do work in one of these kind of higher risk places, um, Keith said that he had been watching Sheila for weeks. Uh, that's why oh, he decided God. to pick her. Um, he knew that she worked alone a lot of the time. And he also knew that her daughter, Regina, who was 21, was her ride to and from work. So Sheila wasn't driving herself to work. Regina was driving and picking her up because they had one car to share. Um, he also figured out that the two of them lived alone. And so there would be no man home. Not that we need a man to save us, but physical strength wise, men are usually stronger. Uh, there wouldn't be resistance from a male figure in the home uh, if he came and, and attacked them there. So I mean, just the idea that someone's watching your daily activity and you had no clue. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, I think I read a stat somewhere where it said like one in a thousand women are stalked like every day or something crazy like that. Like the fact that someone could be watching you right now and you don't even know just is so yeah. creepy to me. Yeah. Look, I don't like it. I don't like it. So uh, just if you guys are in a, an industry like this, keep keep your eyes up. Um, be on yeah. the, I don't know, if you're on the offensive or defense. I don't do sports. So just keep your eyes about. Be on the offense. Okay, is that it? Right, the offense? offense? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You guys, okay. sports. Okay. Uh-huh. Great. Got it. <laughs> All right. So Belinda and Sheila are now uh, about to enter the building. Um, Sheila gets in the first door. Belinda follows behind her and has a gun on her the entire time. She did tell her, don't try anything funny. I am packing. And I was like, all right. I didn't know people said that in real life, but cool, cool, cool. Um, (laughs) so she, she's got a gun on her this whole time. Uh, she gets to the door that leads to where the vault is. And the problem is, is Sheila knows that there's, um, a fail safe where if you put the code into this door, and more than one person enters the back room where the the vault is, that the vault will not open. Mm. Like, that's one of the fail-safes, which I was like, damn, cash-checking place. Yeah, they're not fucking around. Also, I feel like, come on, people. Of course they're going to have multiple fail-safes. Like, why are you trying to rob something like this? I don't know. I mean, it's where the money is. I get that. That's why people rob banks. I get it, but but there's so many precautions. Like, there are cameras there. There's just so many mm-hmm. obstacles to, to get your money. I just don't, whatever. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so Sheila thinks about telling Belinda, uh, you know, Hey, this is what, like, if you come through the door with me, it's going to lock the safe and then we won't be able to get into it. Um, but Belinda is so um, agitated at this point that, Sheila's like, I, I don't think she's, I think she's going to think I'm like pulling something over on her if I tell her that. So I should just let her come with me, but then I won't be able to open the safe and that'll piss her off. So it's kind of like, which is the it's lesser worse. of two evils. Yeah. So she chooses to just walk through with Belinda and deal with the safe vault once she gets to it. So she gets there, she types the code into the safe. And of course it does not open because they triggered you know (laughs) they triggered the door and so it's not going to open so 
uh, Belinda starts getting agitated again. And Sheila says, uh, let me just call the um, safe company. They can help me unlock it. There's usually some sort of code. So she calls the safe company. Of course, uh, Belinda is like losing her mind. Um, she, the, she was hoping, Sheila was hoping when she called that the safe company would ask some questions like, hey, are you there alone? Do you need us to send help? Yeah. Like things that you would think, like if you're calling to be like, I'm locked out of my safe, that you would ask some like specific questions about why that happened. Or you would hope that they would be like, if you're in trouble, say yes right, right. now. And you could mm-hmm. be like, you know, but no. So this is, this is a public service announcement for safe security companies. <laughs> Get it together. Add this they to didn't, your practice. They didn't do any of that. They were just like, <laughs> Oh, you're locked out of the safe. You do 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 do, and then you can get back in. Come so, on in. <laughs> Sheila was like, "Great, thanks." <laughs> so she goes back to the safe, and she's trying what they told her to do. And they had said, "If it doesn't work, call us back." So um, she keeps trying to do what they told her. It's not working. Again, Belinda is starting to get more and more agitated. Again, she is manic depressive, so um, it, she's not completely mentally stable at this point. Um, and I say that uh, gently because all of us, I think, have some sort of mental problem. I myself have anxiety and depression, so I take a lot of meds for that. Um, so I'm not taking that lightly. Uh, you're not she saying is, it to be mean. You're just no. It, that's a fact she really does have. A, yeah, she has a mental disease, and um, so Sheila says, "Okay, let me just call them back again." She calls them back again, and again, they don't ask any questions like, "Are you safe? Is other, are other people there? Anything like that?" Um, at this point, people are starting to show up at the check cashing store, okay. and they're pounding on the front door because they need to get in and get their money because it's past opening time. They open at ten, and they're not open. So before. Uh, Sheila can finish what she's doing to get the safe open. She has to go out to the front and wave people away. And she can't open the door because Belinda is like, I will shoot you if you open that door. So she's just like waving at people like, get out of here, go to the other store, go to a different store, like get out of here. And these people are just pissed. Like, I just They're want just, money. Like, staring at her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> give me my money. Yeah. Like, if you don't know what's going on, I could see where that would be frustrating, you know? Um, so anyway, so she gets back on the phone and the uh, safe company, the safe security company, uh, they open the safe remotely. So the safe is now open. Again, with no questions asked or like, are there robbers there trying to take your money? Fine. <laughs> so um, Belinda uh, stands there while Sheila puts everything into a bag for her. And it's a total of $16,000 that she was able to get out of this safe. Which... It, to a lot of people, that's a lot of money, 16000 But to put two people, Belinda, I'm sorry, Sheila and Regina, the daughter who's 21, through all of this for sixteen grand, It's not. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. That's... Um, so at that point, once uh, Belinda has the money, she then starts zip-tying Sheila's hands behind her back. And Sheila's kind of like, what are you doing? And she says, well, we can't leave any witnesses. And mm-hmm. Sheila's like, no, you said you weren't going to kill my daughter. You weren't going to kill my daughter. And oh, Belinda just like, she, she just didn't say anything and grabbed a cord from a phone and put it around Sheila's neck and started tightening it. Oh, and God. Sheila 
said she kept lifting her head higher and higher off the ground. So she's like laying on the floor. She has this wire around her neck. She keeps lifting her chin up, if you can think about that. So her back is now completely arched back because she's trying to reduce the pressure on her neck. And she said all of a sudden everything went black. And she passed out. Wow. Okay. But Belinda, in her state, uh, thought she was dead, took the money, and ran out of the door. Um, a couple minutes later, Sheila actually woke up because she wasn't dead. She just had been kind of choked out. Um, she calls 911 and immediately tells them to go to her house because her daughter is there and being held captive. Um, so the police go to her house and they uh, go into the bedroom where um, Sheila had said her daughter was being held. And they found Regina, who was 21 years old, and she had been strangled to death. <gasps> so oh, no. Regina, her daughter, did not make it um, through this uh, ordeal. Sheila was then left with um, dealing with that pain and, Terrible, and heartache yeah. because oh. her she lived and her daughter, her adult daughter did not. And she didn't quite understand why, you know, God had decided like, you can live, but your 21 year old isn't, but she's done a lot of healing. She does actually, Sheila does a lot of, um, victim support groups where she talks to people who have been in similar situations. Um, and she also has found peace with her daughter's death and she knows, that Regina is looking down on her and saying, you go mom, like you're doing your thing. So um, it was a terrible story, but um, Sheila did make it out alive. Uh, her daughter did not, but she knows that um, that was just the plan. Like she is supposed to be here. Her daughter is not. And one day they'll be reunited. Um, so she's just like a really positive yeah. person, like to watch this and see how positive she is. Because she said, she said at first when she found out her daughter was dead, she she couldn't even cry. So she said, I was so numb. I didn't cry. I didn't do anything. I just sat there and felt numb. And she said, then the tears came. And they came for years. Like she said she cried for years about her daughter. And then she finally, she said she went to see a psychologist. And she, you know, went to church and all that stuff. And she said... You know, I got to a point where I, I said, I just don't want my heart to hurt anymore. And she got to that point, And it was, I think a lot of it, too, was her going out and being an advocate for victims who had been through terrible tra tragedies like she had. Um, so she knows, you know, that she's doing the right thing. She's doing good in her community. So I say yay for Sheila. And uh, again, she'll see Regina one day. And it sounds like they had a, a great bond. So anyway, that's the story. Of Sheila Dates and her daughter, Regina. That's, cr that's um, crazy. And that's the one thing with all of our survivors. It's like, I feel like a lot of them or most of them find strength in such terrible circumstances and go mm -hmm. and, move and use it to move on to, you know, create organizations or give back in some way. And wow, I can't believe, I mean, that's, that's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say just to wrap up a little bit. Belinda um, and Keith, the robbers, were holed up in a hotel bar when the police found them. Um, Belinda actually killed herself immediately once the police arrived. She shot herself in the head. Wow. Um, but Keith was apprehended and taken in. So um, that's how they kind of knew 
how he had been planning this robbery and mm, how he had been okay. stalking her and things. So uh, Belinda did kill herself immediately. And then Keith was taken in. Uh, I don't think I have how much he was. I'm sure he had to get life. I mean, oh, but yeah. I didn't, I didn't write that down. But um, so, yeah, so that's my story. Sorry, it's depressing. Crazy. Sorry, guys. I mean, Kenny, <laughs> tell it's us not about better. Corona. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just slightly related to Corona in a way. Oh, OK. But not in a bad way. Uh, one Russian theater has found an interesting way to uh, still perform with Corona. And how is that? Hmm. Mm. Do they have elaborate masks on? Oh, good guess. Good guess. Okay. Or like part do the they have? I like it. Like bubble seating. Like I don't know. There's a restaurant here in town <laughs> where you can like rent out these like domes, like bubble domes. Like maybe they have like five seats like bubbled off i don't know uh they're starting one-on-one performances oh god that's so So awkward they will perform (laughs) for one single person in the audience not even a couple one single person no they'll also stream it online too but they want like i guess they're like they want to create a unique artistic experience is what the owner of the ballet said i would say a unique awkward as fuck experience oh yeah i'd feel very uncomfortable i i just just... like to think i want to think about the ballet dancers like they were tight especially the men tight tight unitards Mm -mm. Mm -mm. with one person just staring at you and what about when like it ends or like a scene ends and you're just the only one in the audience like yeah like one clap (laughs) well it's a practice for them i mean i guess keep up with their skill set i don't know i wonder if they run it i wonder if the tickets are sold at a like a super premium oh it's gotta be because otherwise it wouldn't be really worth it well they stream it online too which i'm assuming you have to pay for maybe but they're gonna sell one ticket per performance good god i'm just that's so awkward I I, though, I have to say, I met some ballet dancers, because um, I do these Facebook Lives, and they were super nice people. Um, like, normal people who just, like, are amazingly athletic and gorgeous, but, like, normal people. Oh, except for they don't really eat a lot, and they work out constantly. Yeah, uh, they train nonstop. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess I could understand them doing this just to keep in shape and keep up with the training, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess they could do that with nobody watching, but... That's crazy. That'd be super awkward. No, thanks. I'm going to hard pass on that, but I appreciate (laughs) their ingenuity during this time of crisis. Well, (laughs) this has been another episode of SIP. Survive. And repeat. We hope you guys will join us next week when we talk about more survival stories. And don't forget to tune in on Thursdays because we're putting out bonus episodes to keep us all busy. So we'll see you next Tuesday, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.